Because we've all been in that position where we just have to call on him and wait on him. And uh, he's faithful. He's faithful. I thank him for that. If you have your Bibles tonight, the book of John, the book of John, chapter number four. I do want to make mention Brother, Brother Ballinger tonight. He is, uh, he is traveling, I think you said toward, where, toward Oregon, is that right? South Dakota. I can see how I got those two mixed up, South Dakota and Oregon. He's headed toward South Dakota, and uh, I mentioned that tonight because he's having vehicle trouble tonight, so I want you to pray for him. He got where he's going, and then he's flying, uh, flying toward South Dakota, so you pray much for Brother David while he's traveling that the Lord will meet needs there, all right? John chapter number 4. I want to look beginning tonight in verse number 7. I read several verses here if the Lord will allow us and, uh, and then give you what he's put in my heart. Verse number 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And the woman saith unto him, Sir... Thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof of himself and his children and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Father, we do thank you once more for the privilege to pray, for the opportunity, Lord, to read your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us your word in our language that we can read and understand Father, that we can have the completed Word of God to guide our hearts and our lives. Lord, we know and recognize tonight that we fail miserably at times to meet those words that you've given us. But Lord, I pray you'd continue to give us a burning desire to strive, Lord, to be more like you, God, on a daily basis. I do ask God your blessings upon the service tonight and upon the preaching, Lord, that it would be to your honor and to your glory, that, God, your Son might be magnified. Lord, your people, God, might be edified, Lord, here this evening. I do ask you, God, to touch the Word. Use it for your glory and for your honor, and we'll thank you for all you do. In Christ's name, amen. Well, when I came to the first part of chapter number 4, I came looking for a certain subject or a certain theme of the chapter that we could preach. And, uh, of course, we've already stated that as we, uh, last week, as we preached through the first part of this chapter, that there was conversations concerning a well. There's a conversation in here concerning uh, the water. There was a conversation concerning worship. Uh, many different things that 
uh, they talked about here at the well. But what I did find that was uh, really wasn't shocking, but it was uh, uh, just a little bit different. I was amazed to find uh, that there was a couple of different things in here that I had not considered other than the well, the water, the worship, and all of those things. And uh, what I found is that uh, when we come to this woman, she has some questions for the Lord. She's not just carrying on a conversation that is happening, but she's got some questions of this Jew who she found sitting at the well. She found he was wearied, he was tired from his journey, uh, but she was also amazed that he even spoke to her. And the first question that uh, came up in the conversation uh, came from this woman. It did not come from the Lord. He said to her, he said, would you give me something to drink? He didn't ask. He said, give me to drink. And the question arises from this woman. Said, uh, she said in verse number 9, she said unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman, of Samaria. And this first question has to do with association. She has a question as to why this Jew is associating with her in any way, form, or fashion. She does not understand. No other Jew would speak to her. No other Jew would ask water of her. But Jesus has asked her to drink. Now, we said last week that he would have been uh, really discredited in a number of ways by asking to drink. Number one, uh, by talking to a woman, period. Let alone a woman in the middle of the day at a well asking her for water. This would have discredited our Lord as far as being a Jew. Uh, they say that even husbands would not speak to their wives in public uh, during the daytime according to that culture it was just improper to speak to a woman. But not only is he speaking to the woman, but he's speaking to a Samaritan woman. She said the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And it was well understood in those days of the feeling between the Jews and the Samaritans. Adam Clark said this. He said the deadly hatred that subsisted between the two nations is known to all. The Jews cursed them and believed them to be accursed. He went on to say that this, their most important, the most merciful wish to the Samaritans was that they would have no part in the resurrection. Or in other words, they wished that the Samaritans might be annihilated. Uh, they said the most merciful wish that a Jew would have for a Samaritan was that they would be annihilated, that they would have no part in the resurrection. In other words, they wished that the Samaritans did not even exist, that they would just disappear from the face of the planet, would have made the life of a Jew way better if they did not have to deal with the Samaritans. Uh, listen, uh, he went on here. Uh, she was quick uh, to show her dislike toward the Jewish people. I do not know. It's, you cannot 
tell someone's attitude. You cannot understand how they feel uh, while it's written on a piece of paper or sent in a text message. All we have is the words on paper. But I feel like in my heart that this woman displayed a haughty spirit. Uh, she was a Samaritan and he was a Jew and she didn't like it and she was quick to let him know, why are you even talking to me? I'm a woman of Samaria. Now you may see it different and other commentators do, but I feel like that she probably had a haughty spirit and an ill nature toward the Jewish nation. Why do I feel that way? Because they felt that way about her. They demeaned her. They put her down. They demeaned her people. She did not like the way that she felt when the Jews were around. And she questioned the association between this Jewish man and herself. She knew that he was a Jew either by his dress or by his dialect, and she was quick to question his motives. Why are you talking to me? We all do that. We all have a certain amount of question in our minds about association even at times when we come to church. If you know someone that doesn't normally carry on a long conversation with you and all of a sudden they're interested in talking to you for 30 minutes, uh, your mind wonders, what in the world are they doing talking to me like this? It is a question of motive. It is a question of intent. Why is this Jew speaking to me. Now let me just say, uh, uh, so that I can get somewhere with the point, uh, it would be the best day of her life. It would be the greatest association with a man that this woman had ever had. We know the story. Five husbands and was living with one that was not her husband. Six men had come into her life and the next one that walks in is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and she becomes associated with a man that would change her forever. But the question has to do with association. Jews would normally have endured any hardship rather to be indebted to a Samaritan like Christ. Sometimes uh, we must go above and beyond to show goodness and kindness to others. We must be ridiculed or misunderstood, uh, but it must happen in our culture. And in our day, I wonder how many people we've walked by in certain situations that did not fit the mold of the person we would normally associate with. This is the case. Christ, uh, Christ did not 
have to associate with her uh, to satisfy his Jewish background. Uh, as a matter of fact, he caused a rift among the Jews even by stopping at the well and talking to this woman. Uh, but then he did the unthinkable and he drank from her vessel. Uh, I mean, he defiled himself uh, uh, by being with this woman and drinking from her vessel. But what he has done is gone out of his way above and beyond what is called for of him to reach a woman that needed him. That needed him. All oh, too many times we see the guy at the gas station that we know is coming to ask us for money. We know that's what he's doing. We saw him leave the last person at the pump and, and there he comes over to talk to you. And I mean, we do everything we can. We're probably about to fill up, but we cut it off at $10 so we can get to the next station and not have to have deal with somebody begging, not have to deal with somebody that does not fit in the mold of who we associate with and we've missed an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. My biggest day with that came. The fellow asked me if I had any change and I lied to him. This was years and years ago. I said, no, I don't have anything. When I let my hands down, everything in my pocket jingled. He said, ah. I said, you're right, you got me. Here's what I told him. I said, I don't know how much money's in my pocket. I knew I had some bills in there too. I said, I don't know how much money's in my pocket. I said, but I'll give you whatever's in there. Now that you know it's there, I'll give you whatever's in there if you'll give me just a little bit of your time. He said, absolutely. I talked with him for five or 10 minutes about Jesus. Probably didn't have more than three or $4 in my pocket. And I thought when I walked away from him, uh, what a small price to pay uh, to be able to give somebody the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, what a small price uh, to be able to stand and declare God's been good to me and he'll be good to you. Uh, he saved me from hell and he can save you from hell if you'll believe and ask him he'll save you association was the question why would you have something to do with someone like me listen his association with this woman was question number one because of his conduct his conduct was not typical of a Jewish man his conduct supersedes what any other man would have done concerning this woman. It is said that men would go to the well when it was time to draw water. That was a good place to meet a wife at drawing time. So men would go to the well at certain times. Uh, the problem here is this woman is going to the well at a not so typical time uh, to draw water. She's by herself. Uh, she's trying to avoid the crowd. Uh, she is a woman of reputation uh, and she's trying to avoid conversation and the conduct that Christ shows to her is not typical of any other man she's ever met. When she ran into this man, him knowing her reputation, he did not ask her out on a date. The typical man would have said, I know this woman. 
I wonder if she'd go out with me. Not Christ. His conduct is not typical among Jews, not just, not just knowing her reputation, but in the very fact that his contract, her conduct was contrary to what the religious system even called for. Listen, this issue with the Jews and Samaritans date back to when the Israelites were divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and they mixed races, and they wound up being a disgrace to the Jewish nation, and the religious system did not even and consider them how to be part of the nation of Israel. They had discarded them, set them aside, and Christ's conduct showed differently than the religious crowd would have. Uh, Marvel at times said this for many years, and I try to live by it. I am who I am and try to be that way in here and outside of here. I like my blue jeans and I like tennis shoes and I just try to be who I am. And uh, there's a lot of people in the church uh, that are operating like a religious system uh, rather than operating like a person. Christ's conduct reveals uh, uh, his humanity. It reveals uh, his love. It reveals his mercy. And not just for a certain group, uh, but he came into the world to save sinners. Uh, she just happened to be a sinner and his conduct revealed uh, who he said he was. Uh, he was kind to her. Uh, he went beyond uh, for her. Uh, he spoke to her. Uh, not just a word of how are you, uh, but he had had a conversation with her. His conduct is what made her question the association. The religious system called for the Jews to avoid this woman. And men and religions, men and religious men would not have talked to the woman in public, but Christ's conduct was not like that of others. He even did the unthinkable and healed people on the Sabbath day. He did things that the religious system said that he was a blasphemer and a, and a sinner. They called him a wine-bibber. They called him all kinds of things, a glutton. But Christ's conduct was not the same as other religious people. Paul said this concerning reaching others. He said he had become all things to all men that he might save some. I didn't quote it exactly right, I know, but that's in your Bible. He became all things to all men. Paul would have done something crazy like talk to a Methodist. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I don't know. They tell me there used to be a time when communities would come together for the cause of Christ uh, whether it was denominationally right or not, they'd come together, lay aside their different belief systems for the common cause of preaching the gospel to save them that are lost. But now we have no association with other people that aren't doing it just like we are. Christ did not do things the way the religious crowd did them. He would have been banned from most 
most groups, most circles he would not have fit in with. But who he fit in with was a crowd of people that had been treated poorly by religious systems. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something? I mean, religious groups say, well, you believe this, we can't associate with you. I mean, we have divided it up into this ism and that ism, and we've divided it up into uh, free will and missionary. We've divided it up into primitive, uh, a Methodist, uh, Presbyterian. We've divided and divided and divided and divided, and this one won't talk to this one, uh, but Christ is associating uh, with a Samaritan woman uh, whom the Jews hated, uh, and it just so happened uh, that it was a match. It was a fit. Come see a man that told me all things that I ever did. He's got to be the one. He's the Messiah. He's the Redeemer. He's my Deliverer. He's a Jew. And like any other Jews, he's displayed a love for my soul. And I want everybody to know of him. He fit in with the crowd that wouldn't fit in with church. Isn't that amazing? Some folks don't like that. They don't like that at all. But we ought to reach out to the lost. We ought to talk to them. I'm not talking about getting drunk with them by any means. I'm not talking about, you know doing anything crazy with them. But I am telling you, Christ associated his conduct, showed himself to be a different Jew than any other man that this woman had ever talked to. This conduct would raise another question, and it was a question about her association with him that was not just about his conduct, but it was about the fact that his actions toward her were not conventional he did not act the way that other folks would have acted toward her his speech to her was kind it was not ugly it was not laced with words of hate it was not words that discredited her as a person he did not call out every sin that she has committed but his conduct had displayed that he had an interest in her that went beyond a Jew and a Samaritan he had an interest in her eternal well-being and his conduct showed so. And his methods were not conventional. He's asking for a drink and was willing to drink from a vessel that to other Jews would have defiled him. His methods, his style went beyond what they would have done. Now, I don't know... I do not know how the Judaizers 
did their proselyting in the church to get people that had come from being a Gentile to a, uh, to a Jew, to a proselyted Jew. I don't know how they did it and went about it, but I dare say it probably went something like this. Uh, they probably said, now look here, here's what you believe. You've told me what you believe. Now let me show you uh, what we do, and this is the right way, and you need to come to where we are. Christ didn't operate that way. Matter of fact, he didn't say anything to her about religion until she said something about it to him. When he said, uh, he said, our fathers worship so-and-so, and, and uh, you're telling me this, and uh, you're telling me you're greater than our father Jacob. Uh, he never mentioned those things until she mentioned them to him. Now listen, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. It's not wrong to tell somebody what you believe and ask them what they believe. I'm not saying that's wrong. What I am saying is the method that Christ used in this conversation was not conventional. He reached her in a very normal conversation. Alexander McLaren said this, when these words were spoken, the then known civilized world was cleft by great deep gulfs of separation, like the crevices in a glacier, by the side of which our racial animosities and class differences are merely superficial cracks on the surface. Language, religion, natural animosities, differences of condition, and saddest of all, difference of sex, split the world up into alien fragments. A stranger and an enemy were expressed in one language by the same word. The learned and unlearned, the slave and his master, the barbarian and the Greek, the man and the woman stood on opposite sides of the gulf, flinging hostilities across at one another. Before there was ever tension between the black and the white, before there was ever tension about the things that we have social issues with, there was tension between the Jews and the Samaritans, between man and a woman, and they stood on opposite sides of the field just firing wickedness at each other. But Jesus steps across the line and declares peace with the Samaritan. Opening a door, opening a door for other Gentiles, for other dogs rather. These are Samaritan folks, but rather outcast Jews, if you will. Half-breed is what they were. Opening a door for this people that was not accepted by a religious system. He opened that door and said, Christ loves you. Christ loves you. Christ loves you. I do not know where our world stands racially in our day. I do not know that it's as bad as the media portrays it to be, but the reality is it's still there. It's still there. I wonder would it be there here? God, help us not to let it be here. Racial tensions. If they're God's people, we are 
to love. Amen. It got quiet right there. I better move quick. Amen. <laughs> Listen, they were ready to break bonds in the conventional ways of Jesus. The non-conventional ways of Jesus were breaking bonds. He crossed barriers that we are not willing to cross concerning race and gender. What a lesson Christ teaches his people and the readers in this chapter about reaching out to a people we would not normally reach for. There was a day, no doubt, I, I remember the day when Joe Bell, who was the track coach at North Buncombe High School, when I was a sophomore and damaged my cartilage in my knee, I went to the doctor and we were, we didn't have any money, we didn't have insurance and I went to the doctor and the doctor said, you're either going to have to have surgery on your knee to repair that cartilage or you're going to have to quit all physical activity for a pretty good while. There was not an option at my house. I went straight to school the next day and I told Joe Bell, the track coach, I said, coach, I can't run anymore. I've got damage to the cartilage in my knee. And the doc says I've either got to have surgery or quit. And I can't have the surgery, so I've got to quit. He said, you're a loser, honeycut. That's what he said across back at me. How old are you when you're a sophomore? Fifteen? Fifteen years old. I hear a man that I had looked up to and respected, looked back across his desk at me and say, honey, cut your illusion if you wanted to run, how you could run. And what I'm saying to you is this, uh, there was a day in all of our lives uh, when the world looked at us as not being successful, as not being needed, as being somebody uh, that should be pushed to the side and was no good. And while we were there, while we were sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Uh, he came to where we were when the world said we were no good when the world said we were useless Christ made us useful you might have been a loser teacher might have said you'd never amounted to anything but Christ has different plans he crossed barriers in witness beginning in verse number 10 this woman poses a new question it is a question not concerning association, but it is a question concerning ability. It is ability. Look at verse number 10 with me. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, who it is that saith unto thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked water of him, and he would have given thee living water. Verse 11, The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. This woman immediately questions uh, the ability of Christ uh, uh, concerning drawing the water. He's sitting at the well. He's wanting a drink. Uh, he has nothing to draw with, but yet he tells the woman uh, that he has the ability uh, to give her living water, uh, that if she knew who he was, he'd give her to drink. Uh, and it causes a question of his ability. It also puts emphasis in her mind on her own ability. 
Here's the thought. You don't have a bucket, and I do. You can't draw, but I can. I was in school when I was living in Tennessee, and I was crossing the mountain in Sam's Gap one morning, and it was still dark. I, I'd leave about five or so in the morning to drive down to Lenore to go to school and I had been studying this text and this may or may not have any effect on how you view this text but I was thinking about that woman saying sir thou hast nothing to draw with and about the time I topped Sam's gap it was cold and it was clear and as soon as I topped the mountain there was the big dipper staring me right in the face and listen that woman said sir thou hast nothing to draw with and in my mind I thought dear God uh, she just thought he had nothing uh, to draw with he didn't just have one dipper uh, but he had a big one and a little one uh, and the ability to draw everlasting living water uh, from a well that she knew not of uh, and she questioned his ability to draw now tonight I'll put a go out to check on the dog and if the sky is clear which I doubt it will it rains all the time now but if the sky is clear I could look up into it and see that dipper right up over my head and be reminded that the well is deep <laughs> the well is deep but oh God he has something to draw. This said the woman saw no vessel. She saw no bucket in which Christ could get water from. She also questioned not only his ability to draw, but she questioned his knowledge concerning the depth of the well. I'll say often, I say things about preaching not being very deep, but dear Lord, when we're preaching about Jesus, there's not a, a deeper subject matter. It cannot be exhausted. It cannot be preached out. There's no way in our lifetime we'll ever tell. If John said uh, that the books couldn't contain uh, all the works and the miracles that he did, we'll surely never, ever get it all preached. Uh, but she questioned his knowledge of the depth of the well. When all is said, she's really questioning his ability, not just of drawing and not just his knowledge of the depth, but she's questioning his ability to do what he said he could do. Now listen, maybe this does not pertain to you, but more often than not, I question his ability to do by my unbelief of him, of me believing that he can do for me what I know he's done for others. And we don't say out loud, never, never, ever would we say out loud, Lord, I don't believe you. But our doubt says, Lord, I ain't sure about this. I know you can do it for others, but I don't know if you'll do it for me. It's, it's, it's us questioning his ability to do. This woman, she, listen, by now in the conversation, she already knows and understands uh, that she is not talking to a typical male Jew. Uh, she understands uh, that there's something different about this man. Now he's claiming to have ability uh, to give her living water while he has no bucket uh, and he knows that the well is deep uh, and she's questioning whether or not he can do it. 
Well, preacher, you just don't know what I've done or where I've been. You don't know how many bad things I've done in my life. I don't know if God had saved me or not. You're questioning his ability to do what he said he could do. He said in the book of Romans that if we believe in our heart, confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus that God hath raised him from the dead, he said, thou shalt be saved. He didn't say you might be. He didn't say fill out your application and send it into the office. Give me a resume along with it. He said if you'll believe and you'll confess, you'll be saved. That's what he said in his word. Is that right? He said this. He said, he said I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. He said, I'll go with you all the way to the end. If you are a born-again child of God, you've never walked a step of your saved life alone. You've never done anything without him, whether it be good or bad. If you're saved by the marvelous grace of God, his promise to you is I'm going with you. And many times we question his due, whether or not he'll really go. Now, Lord, I know you want me to go over there and see such and such, but I, I don't know if I can do it or not. I, I, I just can't do this by myself. Well, nobody ever said you had to. He said, I'll go with you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, I'm with you. We question that ability to do. How could this man do as he'd claimed with empty hands? She's not yet seen the ability that he has. So it demonstrates a question now. Of doubt. Art thou greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? That makes you, are you greater than him? See, this crowd of people in the New Testament always was stuck on their history and their family heritage and their ways of doing things. They were always stuck there. And she is too. How can you do it? Are you greater than Jacob? He could have just said, yes. He could have. But Jesus answers this question of ability by speaking about the drink itself. He says, Jacob well provides a drink that does not satisfy. He said, if you drink of this well, you're going to be thirsty again. Amen, I could prove that right now. My mouth feels like it's got a bag of cotton balls in it. Hey, you drink of this well, you're going to be thirsty again. He said, but if you drink of that living water that I'm speaking of, he said, there'd be a well that come up inside you that's springing up, that's bubbling up, that's doing something for your spirit that Jacob's well has never done for you. He said, you take the drink that does not satisfy. Then verse 13 says, this water, you'll thirst again. It is natural. And this woman is still dependent upon her own ability. She's still leaning on what she could do to draw the bucket for her strength. On the other side, Jesus, a Jew, was offering that springing up well that he called living water. He said it brought everlasting life. All of this dialogue, everything we've read in this conversation in these few verses tonight, lead the woman to want the water. 
She said in verse number 15, Sir, give me this water. It poses another question. It's not about Christ this time. It's about the availability of the water. How much is it? Can I have it? Is there enough? I want it. What do I do to get it? It's about the availability of the water. It is an interior well. It's not like any well that this woman has ever been to before. Once she gets it, she'll not be able to see it. You can look at Jacob's well. You can touch Jacob's well. You can drop a bucket in Jacob's well. You can draw the water out of Jacob's well. You can drink the water from Jacob's well. But Christ, the availability of this water, it comes on the interior. It's an inside job. And you can draw from it anytime. This water is available 24-7, every second, every minute, every hour of every day. This water is available. It's not visible, but a well on the inside. He said it's springing up. That word springing, that phrase really springing up interested me. It is a leaping. It is a bubbling up. It is a living water. The water being inside provides the unending source and makes it available at any time. Listen, and I'm about done. It is also a water in its availability, it is indispensable. It is a well that is indispensable. It is 100% necessary in a man or a woman's life in order to have everlasting life. You must have the well. Listen, Christ was not interested in giving the woman water. He was interested in giving the woman the well. He said it is indispensable. It is absolutely necessary that you have the water. Here's the final point, and I'm going to close. And then next week we'll move into the conversation where Christ brings her to do what she has to do on her end. And all that is is confess, by the way. But listen, it is 100% necessary to have the well to have everlasting life. The songwriter said, I need thee every hour. Every hour I need thee. If you don't have the well, you can't have him every hour. While I'm sleeping, I need him. The psalmist said in Psalm 121, he that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. I need him when I'm sleeping. Sometimes I wake up scared. I don't know if y'all do that or not, but I do. I wake up scared almost sometimes to the point of tears. I have terrible, terrible I learned, I learned this term. I did not know this was a real term. I always called them nightmares. But they, somebody told me there's a difference between a nightmare and a night terror. I don't know which one I have, but I wake up so scared sometimes I'm almost 
crying when I wake up. I need him. I need the well every minute of every day. Sometimes some crazy person cuts me off on the highway and it makes me want to lose my religion. I need him right then and right there. Sometimes life is hard and you don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what's next. I need him in those moments. I'm telling you, there's not a second of your day that you do not need the Lord. We cannot make it without him. And he said that the well is indispensable. Its availability is there. It'll be inside you. You can draw from it all the time. It's what you need to survive. One, if a person wants to see heaven, if a person wants to live at peace with God, having the well inside, having the internal well is not an option. It must be there for us to survive this walk of life. A well that answers all the questions of a woman. A well that she'll eventually say, come see a man that told me all things I ever did. She, all, she got it all at the well. All at the well. That's the message tonight. Let's stand to our feet. Appreciate so much your attention. I appreciate the good liberty that the Lord it's given tremendous, there has been tremendous liberty in here this past Sunday and tonight, and I thank the Lord for that, just for good liberty to preach. I like it when I can look at you and I'm not really worried about what you're thinking. Makes it easier to preach that way. And that brings liberty. While we sing tonight, if there's anybody that just needs to get to the well and draw tonight, I, I don't know. I, I don't come to church on Wednesday nights thinking, man, I'm going to preach a message tonight and 15 people's going to get saved. Come to church on Wednesday nights knowing, knowing that saved people come to church on Wednesday nights, people that love the Lord. And uh, some can't due to jobs and different things. I understand that. But I understand we come tonight as saved people looking for help through the rest of our week. If we're going to get that help, we're going to have to draw from the well. It's not a question of His ability. He can do it. It's not a question of availability. If you're saved, the well is in you. You just got to draw from it. You just got to draw. While we sing. Ah.